in case you haven't heard, I am booking events for 2020. My goal in 2020 is to travel and do 10 performances around the country or the world. And what I'm looking to do is find micro gym owners who want me to come and present or give a keynote or do a walkthrough or do an entire breakdown on a various topic that you've picked. And then I can go ahead and spit my spit to you and help unfuck your business. So if you want to create an event and get other micro gym owners in your market to come and you put this thing on, we can get that set up. DM me on Instagram. If you have a fitness competition and you want to add value to the ticket by doing a, you know, a business summit that day of. Hit me up on DM on Instagram and we can get that set up. Fuck it. If you just want me to come speak to you and your crew, hit me on a DM on Instagram and we will fucking talk. Guys, my plan is to do a ton of travel in 2020 to see you guys, check out your gyms, get lots of good vlog footage and just fucking spread the good fucking word that micro gyms do not have to be fucking broke. We just have to work fucking smarter. Again, hit me in the DM on Instagram. Enjoy the podcast. What is up, guys? It is Stu. It is What the Fuck Gym Talk. And I've got my man, Jeremy Holy, out of Louisiana at Ragin CrossFit. If you watched, there was a recent vlog I did, and I think I titled it something like, I'm friends with Drew Brees, or I know Drew Brees. Jeremy is the fucking doppelganger, the fucking long-lost twin brother of the Drew Brees, the, the Hall of Fame quarterback for the Saints, and um, he is a dude I got a chance to first meet. I spoke at the Iron and Mortar Summit. Actually, I don't even know if this is the one I spoke. I, I met you at first at the Iron and Mortar Summit, right? And then you came down to my self-made summit, and we got the jam in person there. And from just hanging out during the cocktail hours and stuff like that, I, this, guy, this guy's got a great business mind on his head. I enjoyed you know, breaking bread and talking shop with him. And he's also got experience of that 10-year mark. And I really, really look at the 10-year CrossFit affiliate as you, you obviously got in early, right? You were smart and got to market early at 10 years, but you've also obviously done something right. We may not all have it figured out at the 10-year mark, but we're doing something at least right because nobody hangs on to a, a, a profitless gym or any business for, ten, for you know, 10 years, anything like that. So I really am a big fan of the 10-year mark. I think that's a, a huge milestone for a CrossFit affiliate. So Jeremy, real quick, man, just go ahead and uh, introduce uh, yourself to, uh, to everybody. Kind of, you know, give them just a quick background. And not as much how you got in the CrossFit or anything like that, but like, you know, give them a quick background, your overview and how you see kind of the micro gym industry kind of now that you've been sitting in this thing for going on 10 years. Yeah, man. Uh... Thanks again for having me on. My name's Jeremy uh, out of Lafayette, Louisiana. I own Raging CrossFit. Um, opened in November 2009 and, uh, I mean, 2010. And from that point to now, I've seen so many, so many different changes. And before I get into any of that, that I'll, I'll say that, that you got the ball rolling about three years ago with me just kind of thinking differently. So I appreciate that, you know. Uh, I've just do remember, seen, what was like, it, do you remember what piece of content it was like what did you first see of mine that made you because most people see my shit and the first thing they think of I hope this guy dies in a fire fuck this guy like you, <laughs> <laughs> no man uh it just I kind of I kind of kept seeing your content um I don't know where I saw it actually uh somebody might have shared it and um, the rebranding thing, because b before I had heard it from you, I thought about it, you know, four years ago, I thought it, but I was just like, eh, I don't know. Let me just keep doing it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? And 
over the last two to three years, the more and more things I think about or I hear you say, you know, it makes sense. It just, it's, it's common sense stuff. You know, it's not rocket science. It's do this instead of this and you'll get a better outcome. And why why not? You know what I mean? Uh, but I want to say it's just the whole rebranding thing. I guess, when did you do your rebrand? I mean, I, you know, I like to think that we started making changes back in 2014, but like we actually pulled the trigger in 2017. That's probably when I saw it. You know, so I think the name Urban Movement kind of caught my eye because I thought that was kind of cool, like find your movement. And yeah. uh, mo- most of your, I think I saw some of your videos, your branding videos for your gym. And I was like, man, that's cool. And then I started, I found out you had a podcast and uh, I actually played a few of your, your videos at a, a coach's meeting we had a few months ago. So. Cool. That's awesome. I, uh, you know, one thing, you know, that I thought was always really cool about you and when we would talk is that even though you're OG, like again, tenure affiliate, you've been there for a minute. Like you, you're OG. You remember the days where the grungy warehouse gym gave you more clout. You remember the days where bloody hands on Instagram was kind of a a thing to do. And, but you were also one of these guys that had the foresight to, to think past that and realize that, you know, the only thing that's consistent in this world and in business is that nothing will be consistent forever. Things always change. The only constant in life is change. So you had the foresight to at least realize, okay, this is working now for me, but I, I do realize I'm going to have to make some changes. What, what were like, what did you see in your gym that you looked at and you said, you know what, I used to be down with that. But I, I'm starting to see why, like, what were the, like, I'm starting to see a need to change. What were some of those? Um, man, the biggest thing for me is the whole constantly varied uh, functional fitness. I, it's great. You know, you, you, you do something different. And it, I think that's more to keep the, the consumer and the athlete interested, doing something different all the time. But, you know, when I started this uh, fly fit program, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, there's more st- structure to it you know you kind of know what to expect on a Tuesday or Thursday so I said you know there should be more structure you know knowing because I used to hide the workout like I'm not telling you the workout but people need to plan their day and I guess I learned that when I started having kids and I started putting myself in that position and that's me you know putting that out there that I was wrong you know five six years ago no you need to do this I'm not telling you what tomorrow is because oh I wanted to run this day you know there's just so much that goes into it and um you know just keeping people safe sure. that's that's our biggest thing is not not having people get injured and we really really focus on that since i opened the doors and i'm doing i'm taking even more steps now to make sure that we keep people safe yeah i think you nailed like so constantly varied functional movements at high intensity is essentially what every boutique fitness facility does to, to their own degree and definition, right? They might define functional differently. They might define intensity differently, but essentially it's what we're all doing. We're mixing up hit, we're mixing up exercises in a hit style workout. Some of us use barbells and climbing ropes. Some of us use, uh, you know, mega formers and uh, Pilates machines and some of us use spin bikes and whatever the hell it may be. For you, as you're with your, especially in, in your FlyFit program, what was the biggest change? So, how did you look at constantly varied functional movements at high intensity, you know, six years ago, and how do you look at it now in the past three or so years? Well, the the I got put my put I gotta 
put myself out there. You know, back in the day, functional movements, a bicep curl is not functional. You know, uh, there's, there's a lot of ways you can hate on a lot of these bodybuilding movements. They're not functional, but a deadlift, you know, that's lifting the grocery bags up and all this stuff. Um, but, but there are certain movements that, is it really functional? And that's what kind of started getting the ball rolling in my head. And, uh, and it, it's just more the injury. Than, than anything for me, you know, because owning a cross jet for nine, ten years, you're gonna you're gonna see those injuries, you know. But our injuries are very minimal because we take that extra step in the warm up and in the cool down and all that stuff, you know. And think, let's go back, like literally, that example you gave is so perfect. So you have all these chest thumping CrossFitters that go deadlifting is functional, just like picking up a grocery bags. And then that's the real life movement. And then if I go to their gym, I watch a guy touch and go with a flip grip, 225, bouncing it off the floor for 15 reps. That is not like picking up groceries. If the gym owner really wanted to replicate picking up groceries, the only deadlifts that would be done would be kettlebell deadlifts. You would deadlift them five, six, 10 times, and then you would walk 50 yards down and back with the kettlebells in a farmer's carry. That would be functional based on that everyday movement because every gym was like, well, no, deadlifting is super functional. It is. Deadlifting, you know, 60 to 75, 80% of your one rep max for high volume reps where you bounce it off the rubber floor is not functional at all. That's just going fast because you think you're in a little mini competition at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah. You're not. You're just working out because you got to go back to Bank of America, asshole. You're not an athlete. Like, you're not a competitor. This isn't a sport for you. Did you, did you see any of that? Like, would you look at your workouts ever? I know I did. I looked at them like, there's nothing functional about me having these people do overhead squats and bar muscle-ups. Like, yeah. you're, they're full body, but I can't think of a scenario where this helps them in life directly. Yeah, and and, you know, calling it functional uh, i kind of stopped doing that because there's some movements that just don't believe it now we still do snatches and bar muscle ups and ring muscle ups you know because we have a very big group of people that enjoy those movements because we present it in such a safe way sure uh, and then we also you know as far as the competition aspect goes i put on a very large competition we've been I've actually been doing that since I've opened my gym. The first year I opened, I did a competition as crazy as that is. Uh, I did that at my gym and it just had so many people show up. It's grown into, you know, the raging games with 350 athletes, thousand spectators. And, uh, you know, it's, we, we still have that culture here where people want to compete, but it's also okay if you just want to come and work out too. And that's something that I've worked very, very hard on over the last nine years because it's very hard to have that in the same building. You know that, you know, competitors and your everyday athlete, but your everyday athlete, some of these people look up to the competitors. So they don't, they don't dislike the competitors. You know, I was a competitor for six, seven years, the regional thing, doing all of that. And I just don't have the time to do it anymore, but I don't want to take that away from anybody either because I know how fun it is. You know, that was, that was my thing for five, six years is to compete, work out three hours a day. And uh, so that's still an ongoing process here. I'm trying to, to balance that out because we have the room for it. You know, it's just to figure out how to implement it. Right I now. think, and I love what you hit on there. Like it's not, and I, and I bet you a lot of people would think I would, I would argue on the other side of this. I don't think competitive members in your gym are douchebags or assholes. 
just like I don't think the the regular people in your gym are boring and lame. I think there's not there's not like I don't look at it as you have competitive members and regular layman members. You just either have nice, good people or you have assholes. Sometimes regular members who are just there for general fitness can be the assholes and the competitors can be the really nice people, right? It, like, it's not really what their intent is there for. It's just who they are as a person. But your culture, you know, I have, these, I have this big thing, culture versus community, right? You are in charge of the culture and the culture breeds what kind of people belong in the community. Because you, like, if you've got a gym of overly nice people, everyone is friendly as fuck, an asshole comes in, might join the gym, and within a month, they realize nobody's really buying into their bullshit. They're not like, they're not able to bait anybody into really competing with them in the workout and talking smack. And they're like, uh, this is just in the gym for me. Or maybe the gym owner recognizes and fires that individual. But I've always just been such a bigger fan of creating a culture that will weed out 98% of the people that could potentially ruin it. And that keeps your community super enjoyable, super tight knit and non-toxic. Have you ever had toxic members in your gym? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we all have. Sure. Every, everyone does, man. Yeah. hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head, man. It's not something that I will never force anybody out of the gym, but it, I, I, I see it happen. You know, I can, I can pretty much call it before it happens. Uh, sure. You know, someone comes in and they're, you know, just that type of person. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has different personalities and, you know, that personality may mesh way better with another gym in town. And I understand that. And that's also something that I've grown and I've learned over the years. Like, you know, you're open two or three years. Oh, fuck that gym that my members going over there, this and that, you know, and now it's, it's, that's, I'm so beyond that. It's, uh, you know, people are going to work out what's convenient for them if it's closer to their house and, you know, I have members all the time like, hey, man, they got this gym that opened up. Uh, it's right by my house. I'm like, look, go check it out. See if you like it. If you do, great. If not, we'll see you in a couple months and go shop around. See if you like it. That's it. It's, it's simple. It's you know? crazy, man. I, so many micro gyms and CrossFit affiliates will be like, man, I need help with branding. And really, if you think about it, most gyms that have been in a market for five or more years, they have a brand. So like in Charlotte, um, there's a gym. It's called uh, South Charlotte CrossFit, and they're a, it's a good gym. I know the owners there; they're great. They are definitely the competitive gym. They've got a great competitive culture. Um, they have a bunch of members that do things like Wadapaloozas and all this other stuff. But that is a brand that they've created. There's another gym in town that is just um, they're less expensive, and I, let's not call them the cheap gym. They're just the more they're the they're the inexpensive model, right? And you do anything we do consistently is branding right? Anything we do consistently as humans or as businesses. And I think it's so funny that like, if you, like, if you got together with all the gym owners within like a 10 mile radius, you could all sit there and be like, you're the competitive gym. You're the really posh bougie gym. You're the really expensive gym. You're the underground warehousey 2008 gym. And everyone kind of has their own brand for, you know, as far as that goes, what would Ragin's brand be? I mean, you're probably, are you the OG? Are you the oldest like affiliate in the area? Yeah, there there was a gym that opened the year before me, but they've switched owners and moved locations, and uh, so so yeah, I'm 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 one of the more established ones, and you know I've heard that 2016 prior that we were the competitive gym. You know, uh, some people were intimidated to come because we we sent individuals and teams to regionals, and I really hated to hear that. Uh, 
you know, but that's something that I've created, you know, and that's something I had to deal with. But I also, that was about the time where Instagram and I kind of started doing all that. And I started thinking, okay, well, I'm not getting rid of this competitive aspect, but I'm going to tell a different story, you know, and let people see what we really do because that's not, that's 90%. I mean, 10% of what we do is the competition. Yeah. And, you know, the other, <clears throat> the other 90% is getting a good workout, a great community, come and have fun. And I, I told that story through social media and I think that helped kind of men. So now that's not really, nobody really thinks that anymore, you know, uh, because we have we have people that come here all the time that have no no need to compete or don't don't want to compete, you know. Yeah, and, and talk to me a little bit about you know uh, the fly fit. Like talk you talk a little bit to that degree because so creating these are what I call lo, excuse me LBE low barrier to entry classes, right? So generally we look at CrossFit high barrier to entry. You know I'm a big fan of the PT first model for CrossFit style gyms, high skill level gyms. Um, and then a lot of them are also creating this low barrier to entry things like, you know, when, uh, Steve Pinkerton talked at the self-made summit, he talked about his Evo fit class. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that I see a lot of gyms doing this. Talk to me about your decision as a business owner. When did that start creeping into your head? And what were some of the conflicts you had internally about bringing something like that on board to your business? So the the biggest concern I've been wanting to do this since probably 2015, 2014 maybe even, but I just never had the parking to run two uh, programs side by side at the same time simultaneously. So I always had it in the back of my mind, and then I really started thinking, okay, well, stop being lazy and figure out where to park more cars. So I started looking around my my building and across the street. There was always this huge ass empty parking lot. So I went over there, talked to the lady. Long story short, I ended up renting out like 15 spots from them for the past year and a half. And uh, once that happened, I got the ball rolling. Uh, you know, my buddy Chris Gass, he's ranked up there in the top three in the world by Concept 2. This dude has a skier, a biker, a rower, and a assault runner in his garage so I partnered with him he actually came up with the name fly fit um, and then we started kind of thinking what can we do with this why do I want to do it well I had three or four women uh, I hear him talking about orange theory one day and you're gonna like this story uh, so I went up to him I said hey y'all y'all been going to orange theory they're like yeah I said look I'm not mad at all but just just wondering why they said well, we just need a little more cardio I said what if I started something here and uh, they're like, oh, we, we definitely come do it here. I said, you know, you'd be using the skier, the, the rower, the biker. Um, and that's all it really took for me, three to five women. And I said, well, I know this thing's going to take off. I at least got three to five members already. So that's all it, that's all it took. And then we, we started rolling. So how is that doing? And let me, you know, let's touch on one thing. So how amazing is the power of a machine, right? Like in the machines in the CrossFit gym, you're talking your ergs right? Everything yeah. you just listed right there. And how powerful is it to the average layman recreational fitness pursuer to be on a machine, give someone the sense of accomplishment of the cardio, right? It's like, it's like, it's the globo gym treadmill, you know, equivalent, right? There'd be women who just go to the globo gym and walk on run, jog on the treadmill for 30 minutes. And that satisfied their need to sweat, 
feel sore, feel tired, I check the box. And now some of us might say that's lower order fitness. My biggest thing is that's perfectly fine if that's your viewpoint. But the worst thing you do in business is try to change the mind and break the belief, a strong belief like that off the bat. That's something that you get them doing, like coming in and doing a fly fit program where they're on that machine a ton. And then maybe they also get to touch some other bells and balls, kettlebells, slam balls, whatever. And now they're seeing the benefit of this resistance training thing with dumbbells and all these kind of very non-intimidating resistance training models. And then they can maybe maybe decide that a barbell and a pull-up bar would also be something they'd like to pursue. How, like how much of your program do you think is the use of the machine is part of the attractiveness and cardio-based you know, workouts? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I have our room set up pretty cool. It's, it's only 1,350 square feet. We added it on to do fly fit. Um, we have 24 machines in there. We have uh, six of six runners, ski ergs, bike ergs, and rowers. And uh, not to send you a picture, I, I finally figured out how to set it up the right way. And it's kind of tight quarters with the machines, but it, it really works. Uh, one one kind of like the the aha moment I had six months in the fly fit, there's this lady that's been coming here for, you know, six years, loves CrossFit, usually one of the last ones to finish, single, box jumps, blah, blah, blah. Well, I saw her in fly fit over three or four months, and then I saw her in a CrossFit workout, and a few of the people I usually work out with, they're like, man, you know, she's, she's getting after it. I started thinking, why? Well, you take, you take a 40-year-old soccer mom and you put her doing box jumps, total bars, burpees, she's only be able to push so much till she has to stop, right? You know, on a pull-up, she could do singles, but she could do 30. That's not like doing 30 butterfly pull-ups, you know, that's doing singles. So the stimulus is different. You put her on a ski erg or a bike, when she hits that point that she would hit on a pull-up, she can keep going because it's just sitting down pedaling sure. or standing up pulling. So now her fitness increased so much from doing that that when she got into CrossFit, she started doing five pull-ups at a time. And I was like, I got it. That I'm on to something here, you know? You got to, when you, uh, Jeremy, so a cool story about Jeremy, a quick segue into my into this story that's connected to what he just said. Jeremy uh, came to the Self-Made Summit and he shoots me a text like the Wednesday before. He's like, bro. You, I'm in the worst amount of pain I've ever been in. You wouldn't believe, like, I've got to go to the hospital. Something's fucked up. And then you, you pinged me later. It was like, yeah, it was my appendix. They had to remove Jeremy's appendix. It was appendicitis. What, what did it end up being? Yeah, man. So the, the Tuesday, all it was actually the Tuesday all day. My, my stomach was hurting real bad. And uh, I thought it was a stomach bug. So that night, I still hadn't eaten anything. I told my wife, I said, look, I'm just going to lay on the sofa. I'm probably going to throw up or, or something's going to come out because I don't feel right. That lasted till 6 in the morning, and I didn't sleep. So at about 3 or 4 a.m., I kind of figured something was going on because I, I, I started crying, and I was laying there, and I couldn't move because I was in so much pain. So I woke her up at about 6. She brought me to the hospital, and at about 7.30, the doctor's like yeah, we need to get that appendix out and the first thing I thought I was like all right well um is it a big surgery you know he's like oh no no not, not at all you know outpatient I said cool so what's the recovery you know he's like man a couple days you should be good I said cool because I'm leaving uh Thursday or went tomorrow to go on a trip 
and they started laughing, him and my wife. And I, I got kind of upset. I was like, what are y'all talking about? So that's when I text you saying, yeah. you know, I'm getting my appendix out. And then when I got out of surgery that, that afternoon, I told the doc, I was like, look, dude, I said, I'm flying out tomorrow. What if I pushed it back a day and I flew out the next day? He's like, man, I can't really make that call. I said, well, look, it's a very important trip. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of pre-gaming for this. Like, I, I got to go. I need to go. I won't lift anything heavy. I was like, please. He was like, all right, if you don't lift anything heavy, I'll let you leave. Because I was excited to go a few days early to go hit all these different gyms. Yeah. But in my mind, I said, look, if I can just go, even if I don't work out, I can't work out. So even if I get there Friday, it's all good. So he kind of cleared me and I was pumped. Yeah, no. So Jer Jeremy definitely won the badass award of like moving up his surgery to make sure he could attend the self-made summit. But it was cool because you got to be there on Friday. I ran our lift and move class and, um, we had a full, we, I think we, cause we capped at 20, we had a 20 person class and then we probably had like 12 or 15 people just kind of on the sideline. And I was kind of just verbally walking people through why we do certain things. And you know, one of the things I was telling you in the group, time under tension is one of our core pillars for my, for urban movement. And that's exactly what you're just talking about. You know, Sally doing toes the bar when she's, you know, 30 pounds overweight does not create enough time under tension. It doesn't give it to allow her to get enough time actually doing biological work because she has to stop the biological work because her grip on the pull-up bar doesn't last or this you know when i was a when i was doing my opex training the one of the, the biggest takeaways i remember that um that entire five-day course was beginners newbies need more repetition than everybody else more repetition. They need to be doing more because they have more weight to lose. They have more muscle muscle to build because they're such in a deficit of that. There's more decondition. And exactly what you just named, these higher cardio programs like Orange Theories, in my opinion, or your fly fit, will get a starter fitness avatar better results in 18 months than CrossFit alone. I truly believe that a thousand percent. Correct. And on the other end of the spectrum, you get somebody who's conditioned enough, CrossFit, CrossFit's going to be the better option because yeah. you said it before, you know, to get you in shape the quickest, CrossFit's the go-to. Yes, sure. it is. You know, your, your injury rate's a little bit higher, but that's why I love what Steve's doing at Vitality. You know, he, uh, I'm probably going to be adopting that model by starting people through, you know, through the, the, through the fly fit program. And, uh, through the fly fit program and then you know especially for those that are really deconditioned you know uh it'll be a case by case but then once they're you know through fly fit a month or two look you ready to go do crossfit or, or are you good here you know give them that option and i think that's a genius idea that steve had and i've actually uh been in touch with him picking his brain he's been really awesome responding and helping me out so dude he, he's just an amazing dude he's yeah. an amazing guy i'm so glad he came out to that that was um that was cool because you know for everyone listening that didn't get the chance to go steve was the lone wolf in the category if he was the only one still that maintained a crossfit affiliation and still ran across a program myself and metabolic and alchemy have obviously gone all you know other directions um but it was so important for me to have that there because I know there's a lot of CrossFit gyms that are going to do phenomenal with their current CrossFit brand, make some tweaks here and there. But if they're going to, they might, they're probably going to need to bring in this low barred entry model if they're looking to capture a larger part of the market or if they're looking to have their onboarding look more, a little bit more unique, a little, a better narrative. You start here and then you graduate to here, right? Like, you know, whether it's a fly fit or a PT first or whatever the hell it may be. Um, 
So since you got, so once you got back from the summit, what were some of the biggest like th- the action items you did when you for, when you got back? Um, pretty much signed up with every vendor that you had there. Uh, <laughs> you so you did like uh, so I uh, Joe. Uh, so I was talking with Joe. Uh, I don't, he came. Me and Joe did a podcast on Friday, and then we shot the shit afterwards, had some drinks, and he said that uh, he was working with you now too, and I was really pumped to see that. Yeah, man, it's it's been pretty cool. I'm still learning the system. Uh, I'll probably pick your brain. I know you probably got it figured out, but uh, but yeah, man, we we had the ROTC from uh the college here. They came do a little a little program. So that was kind of my first test. You know, like 15, 16 people. I I put them in the system and kind of uh played around with that. But then, you know, I, I called Boris because we're you know gonna be rebranding, and I, yeah. I've done some work with him soon. So that's kind of the main thing. Uh. I was focusing on is the whole rebrand and all of that stuff because that's gonna that's gonna be a process for sure as yeah you know. no and, it, and it's a process and it's a fun journey though it really is it's really really neat um and and it's cool to start seeing the ideas like the conversations you'll have with boris come alive on like your branding assets whether it be a flyer or a social media post or a new logo or a, some new icons whatever it might be let's you know i we before we kick this off i want to um you've been in it for a while and uh a lot of times we were talking before we hit record, we look on social and we see a lot of people who are seemingly doing really well with their business because most people are not going to take an Instagram photo or a selfie at the ATM where it shows that their checking account is negative $3,000, right? That's, that's not going to be a popular selfie, but those moments of either financial, um, financial stress or just maybe uh, work family balance stress or maybe just personal individual stress a lot of us sometimes get like imposter syndrome like what am I doing I'm not good enough to run this business I don't know what the fuck I'm doing I should never have opened this thing up no one's gonna buy into me um what are some of the what are some of the low points you've had or what are some of the 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 pitfalls you've had as a business owner over the years um well the first uh the first thing would be that that comes to mind and I have my wife to thank for this uh you know, when I was competing a lot, you know, focusing too much on the competitors and she kind of told me one day and I got mad and kind of sat back and thought about it. I said, well, I think she's right, you know, so, you know, just not letting them have free range in the middle of class. Uh, and I, I kind of really tightened that up and a lot of the members appreciated it because it kind of got out of control for a while. Um, and I'm sure a lot of gym owners deal with that. Um, but another one, you know, after I was open for two or three years and I hired a few employees and the gym was doing real good, there was only two in town. Uh, I kind of stepped back for a whole summer and said, look, I'm not going to coach at all. I'm going to let y'all coach. I started playing golf a little bit and I kind of stepped back too much and I kind of saw a decrease in membership. And uh, three years later, it kind of happened again, but on a smaller level. And I just kind of wanted to see if I don't coach as much, what happens? And I kind of saw a dip again. Um, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, two years ago, I hired a head coach, uh, my head coach, Jordy, and that's been just amazing, you know, uh, taking, taking a lot of the load of programming off of me. And then, uh, I hired Ellie as well on a full time for social media, you know, CrossFit kids coaching some fly fit and, uh, just having the, the whole social media, all, all of that stuff at the front desk taken off my plate programming and all that taken off my plate i've seen the gym really really grow the past two years and uh it i have them two to thank for that you know 
So this is awesome. So I want to talk on two things. One of them, um, the competitive culture in the gym. And I want to talk about HR, which is what you invested in. And I, I always believe investing in other people to help you run the business is better than any anything you could probably put your money into better than any CRM or any new piece of equipment or a marketing company is investing in people. But let's go to the competitive thing. You know, what's interesting about and why, you know, you mentioned you like, Hey, a lot, you know, most CrossFit gyms have probably experienced a headache or two with the competitive group in the gym. And, and ultimately I think if we have some empathy with those competitors, it's because at that point, they're no longer at Cross, at Rage and CrossFit or back when I had CrossFit Southland. They're not there for the CrossFit, like the group classes anymore. They're there because they need a roof with this equipment and this space at these times. They're there because you have the space and the equipment available for them to do their training based on their individual goal. And that goal could be a regionals. It could be a max, you know, a 500 pound deadlift. It could be a marathon. It could be whatever. So now you have this disjointed group of mismatched goals. And these aren't bad things to have happen. But I think we should have empathy for those people realize we allowed a subset of culture to be created where they're all in there for their own selfish reasons, which is okay. It's okay to be selfish when you're a consumer. You paid money, but now the only thing they really need or want you for as the gym is your space and your equipment. That's ultimately it. And maybe they have a few questions to ask you when they can't get a muscle up or something like that, right? They want some of your expertise, but typically they're reading a Ben Bergeron blog or they're paying fucking CJ Martin for programming or whatever the hell it may be. You know, I, I, that's just the one thing I don't, I don't dislike competitive cultures inside of a gym. I just think every gym needs to be completely aware and have an have empathy towards what that culture is looking for. And they're not looking for a community of a group class. They're looking for a different product. And I think a gym owner really has to reconcile with himself. Am I okay with diversifying my offering? Am I okay with having a group that only wants to be left alone and they want all the space that they need for their 16 piece chipper and all this other shit? Or do I just want people that want to be doing classes together and high five each other and get that best hour of their day? Um, do you still have you? So what does the competitive scene at region look like now? Is there still a, like a cohort or a subset of people that, you know, do an open gym or do individual design or that kind of thing? Yeah, there, there's a few, man. We probably got about 10 guys, some of the coaches, but you know, recently a, a lot of our competitors have just been doing the class because our, our class program is very scalable and there's still some great workouts um we do strength twice a week but um there's still probably about 10 people that every now and then they'll go in the back and i'm playing around with a few different ideas uh of um i could get into it too much but just having a space for competitors which sure. i have the room to do it i just got to figure out how to set it up and you know i know i've, I've watched some of your stuff uh, talking about this and, you know, spending the extra money or all of this. But I really think that, you know, we have 20 to 30 to 40 people that want to do it, but there's just not enough room. And there's those certain group that it's, it's important to them because they are competing a lot and they, they need to do this kind of stuff. So uh, I think having a spot for them to do their training is kind of my goal and not getting rid of it altogether. So, and this is, um, I'll, I'm going to share mine. So when I was CrossFit South End and I was moving into the new building, I had an idea. I was going to do, um, it was going to be called Annex, but it was just going to be an N and X and a logo around that. 
And it was going to be, it was in a building that was in the, you went in through the basement. So you had to go down this wet, damp set of stairs and there was just one red light bulb. And when that light bulb was on, it meant the gym was open for training. And when it was off, it meant it would, the gym wasn't open and there was no hours, no website. It was invite only super exclusive, like a speakeasy, but for a competitor's gym. And you went in and it was an open gym model, but there was always a coach on the floor who would go ahead and answer questions about programming or go over some technique stuff with you. And it'd be a super high price point. Um, but it was just this cool underground rugged, like no frills called annex. And that was like, if I were to have a competitor's gym, like there's a part of me that's like, man, that'd be really fucking cool to have done. So anyone who's listening to this, steal that fucking idea. Um, but yeah, competitors, they're, they're paying customers though. I just always felt competitors should pay more if you can get them to purchase that additional programming in-house. But it's hard sometimes because, you know, Ben Bertrand does do a better job putting out content about advanced programming than most CrossFit gym owners do. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's not. And that's... I've, I've gotten approached to do stuff like that many times back when I was competing for different people. I just know the time and energy it takes to, to yeah. do something like that and then keep up with it. And I wasn't doing it. I was yeah. like, there's not enough time in the day, just like there's not enough time in the day to own another location. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. So right let's, let's go to the HR thing, right? So you decided to eventually invest in a head coach and then eventually you got into someone to do your social and your CrossFit kids and things like that. Here's the issue with hiring. Generally, most people go into a situation like, I can't afford someone full-time. And I think we instantly assume they need a 40, 50, $60,000 a year salary right off the bat. And that may be true depending on who you want. But ultimately, the number one thing I tell people is have what I call discovery meetings and ask them, would you ever want to work for me full-time? And if they say yes, the next follow-up question, what would you want to do? Like, what would you literally want to do in the business 40 hours a week? And then why would you want to do those things? Because you always need to have a why. Because some days you're just in a bad mood and it's always good to go back to your why. And how much would you need to get paid? That's the hardest question in the beginning when you're talking to someone about employment. It's like, so how much money do I need to pay you to have you? Like, that's a very awkward, vulnerable, intimate conversation. Did you experience that at all when you were first getting like your first like full-time employee, like figuring out what that pay scale is going to look like and asking them, hey, what is it you need to survive and work here? For sure. Every, every time we meet about money and if, when they listen to this, they're going to laugh because they know we, nobody likes to talk about sure. that, you know, and every, every time we sit down to talk about it, we both say, you know, we hate to talk about this, but it has to be talked about. You know what I mean? And just having a casual conversation back and forth of what do you expect? Well, this is what you can expect from me. And this is the timeline because I'm not, I don't like to just jump into stuff. You know, I like to make sure I'm making the right decision. So I do take a long time to, to figure stuff out and then to actually put it in place. Um, but yeah, man, we have, we've had those conversations and it, it, uh, it always ends up good. You know, we, we talk and we discuss stuff and we're, it's just an open conversation is the easiest way to go about it. Yeah. I, and see, I'm the opposite. I love talking about money. Like Deuce, the other day, Deuce came up and he asked, uh, we were talking about uh, something and he was like, Hey, would you mind, what, what if we fired the cleaning company or the cleaning guy and I did it? And I was like, do you need the money or do you really want to do the cleaning? And, and he's like, well, I don't know. I think maybe I'd like to make the extra money. We had this whole discussion, but my first thing was cool. This is how much money it'd be. Do you really want that money? 
Like I love getting the awkward shit out of the way first, but there's a lot of gym owners and, and people yeah. when they talk about it, it's super. And I, I think the best way to combat it is to know your numbers. When you have a good feel of your numbers, you know what's going in, you know what's going out, you know what your payroll budget currently is, like what you pay yourself, what you pay your staff, what you pay, you know, all these vendors, whatever it may be. You have an idea what you can work with. There's times where gym owners are like, I can't afford that at all. We literally spend two calls crunching their numbers. I'm like, you actually have $2,900 a month to spend on a salary or a performance fee, like to spend on somebody. And they're like, yeah, I didn't realize we even had that. I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't think I had that. Yeah. Um, so you, let me ask you this. I, I heard a quote, Mike RC, he, uh, he owns Loud Rumor. Um, yeah. I had him on the podcast. Well, he dropped the line or someone dropped the line and it got forwarded to me. It was hire people, not paper, right? Go after the personality, not the level three certification. I love that line. Talk to me about your hires. Were they were you were you hiring for experience and they just happened to be dope people and awesome humans as well? Or did you go after people first and then kind of train them up? Man, and the so the last two or three coaches I've hired, I've told them all the same thing. Uh, you know, over here you have to have a personality. You have to crack a joke. I don't care if you know the entire level three manual. If you can't get up there and crack a joke and get everybody laughing, this isn't the right place for you. And I'm very, very serious about that because I've been to gyms that, and I've, I've hired coaches that weren't like that. And it was, it, it, it just, it isn't what my business is about because I crack jokes all the time. I'm a fun guy. I like to clown around. And if, if my staff can't do that, then it, that's basically what uh but yeah the, the the i've got i've 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 made some bad hires before just because my back was against the wall so i that's one big learning uh milestone that i hit is if if you're hurting for a coach you need to step up and coach those classes until you find the right person instead of just sticking anybody in there yeah uh, and that that's that's huge no, I agree. I think um, I do. Uh, baristas, bartenders, uh, barbers, hair salon, like people in the service industry that have to deal and talk to people for long periods of time, flight attendants. Um, those are people that I think have really rich personalities. And we can teach the fitness to anyone. CrossFit teaches fitness coaching to complete newbies every weekend over the course of 18 hours. Like, again, we all know they're not perfect coaches then, but enough to get them going. They do it in 18 hours, two nine-hour days. Like, it's, it's literally incredible what you can do with 18 hours to get someone up to snuff. You know, like good enough to where they're able to at least, they're able to stand on a good base of athletic and kinesthetic awareness and coaching and basic strength and conditioning and entry level anatomy and all that kind of stuff. So I don't understand why we always have to go after these high level certifications and experience. You're literally, it'd be like saying, I only want clients that make $140,000 or more a year. Like, really? Like what about someone who makes $85,000 a year? They could afford your service too. Like, why are we narrowing our lead generation on employees by wanting this super high? I want them to have three years of experience. Do you really want that? Or are you just being lazy? You don't want to have to build in your own experience. You don't want to have to develop them. You're like, again, they're looking for like the coach that could, it's, that's a turnkey coach. I don't have to do anything. I just have to hire them, pay them, and they do it great. And I just think that's bullshit. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. It, it's funny because me and Jordy, probably about a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago, we were talking about the level three. Might have been two years. I don't know. But we were talking about studying and all this stuff. And then we went to uh, to Portland to the Iron and Mortar Summit. And then, you know, probably about two or three months ago, I was like, just think about that level three. And we, we just started talking. I said, man, do you agree that taking that money and going to some of these summits would be way better for our coaches? He's like, for sure. You know, we, I've learned so much of those, those last two summits, man. And, and look, the level two certification is the best certification I've ever been to. They put you in front of everybody, make you coach. Uh, I learned so much that weekend. It was amazing. I agree a hundred percent on that. I agree a hundred percent. But, but as far as like going from that level two to level three, I just don't don't see the 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 need in that unless you're taking your uh unless you're going that direction with your with your business with your fitness uh more right. teaching other coaches um you know it may not be a bad idea to have one coach that has it to maybe teach all your other coaches but as far as you know everybody getting all these extra certifications I think getting in there and you know talking some people skills and all of that stuff would be be a little bit better one last thing I want to make sure we dig in on because it would be ridiculous if we got off this podcast and we didn't talk about it. How have you? How has your life changed or experiences or your reputation in the gym? How many like have you seen positive benefits from the hyper local virality you got? And for those of us who are, if you're not familiar, put in Jeremy drew breeze like look alike just put it in the google and you're gonna see the barstool sports post on it you're gonna see news clippings all over the place jeremy again, looks like drew breeze he dressed up he put the birthmark on his face he was spitting image and the fucking internet lost its mind over you it lost its mind i remember you pinged me on this and i didn't get what you were talking about first like dude did you see it like i said i was like what's he talking about and then i just literally i literally said it to deuce i'm like deuce did you see it? He goes, was he on Barstool? I'm like, holy fuck, he made it to Barstool? And I looked into it. I was like, Jesus. It had, I mean, how many views did that video get? Man, well, the it was a picture that the Barstool posted. Yeah, yeah. CBS Sports did a side-by-side -side during the Drew game. Drew Brees, not Drew Brees. Not Drew Brees. And then my phone blew up. And then, like, after the game, Barstool posted it. And that was a whole nother thing. Uh, but th the craziest thing was that following week was their bye week or maybe two weeks after. And Drew Brees opened up an, a big entertainment uh, center in Lafayette for kids. It's called Surge Entertainment by Drew Brees. And it's like a trampoline park, but there's a bowling alley, uh, simulators for golf and football. So um, I did a bunch of TV inter news interviews uh, probably like the Monday or the Tuesday after the game, um, local news. And then the Wednesday, one of the guys calls me and he's like, hey, dude, uh, we're doing a story on Drew Brees in about two hours. He's coming to Surge. And uh, we, we asked his agent if he wanted to meet you. And he said, yeah, would you want to meet him? Was How insane was your life at that moment? Were you like, this is not real life? Listen, dude, I had so much going on. I'm in the I was in the process and I still am of buying a rent house and some land. Uh, and in the middle of all of that, I have a meeting with Boris who lives in Australia, as you know, yeah. I got people calling me to do news interviews and podcasts like in Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Um, 
and I was just too busy. I was like, man, I wish I could do all this stuff, but I have a business and a, like a family. I can't just drop all my shit and go play Drew Brees, you know? Uh, <laughs> but when they called me and said I could meet him, I was supposed to coach. So I called my, my, my coach Max and I was like, Hey buddy, bro, I'm, I need you to step in on this one. I need, a hour, <laughs> I need you to come in. I, I got to go meet Drew Brees. And, uh, man, he, he was just genuinely happy to meet me, man. Like when I saw him, it was just a super cool experience. And, uh, you know, I've read his book and I look up to that guy in a, a lot of ways and just to meet him and to shake his hand. And, uh, I've met him actually a couple of times after that too, and been going to all the games. So, uh, but yeah, like around town, it's almost kind of weird, you yeah. know, like go places and, uh, people are you that not Drew Brees guy and like just taking pictures with people uh you know all the games we go to this last game I met some guy from uh, Anheuser-Busch and he invited us all to the bud light suite and uh I got up on stage in Champion Square with the Molly Ringwalls which is a I don't know if you ever heard of them I don't know if they're just a local or uh yeah, no I haven't heard of them they're, they're like a cover band so they called my buddy who I went to the game with and uh asked if if I could get on stage so I hyped up like seven to ten thousand people it's on my Instagram story go check it out I fucking I see like I love this so much because and here's the deal is I thought the new normally when a gym owner does like an event or whatever the new station will show up but they really don't highlight the gym as much and what you do and I thought the news story they did on you did a great job highlighting and showing some great clips of raging in your gym and what you did there and I did you was there I mean you know, and for anyone listening, this virality that Jeremy got, it's not like he's sitting there now in his fucking, you know, Bentley and he literally the next day he had 300 members. That's not what happens with, vi- with viral videos, just so everyone's completely clear. But it will give you the opportunity. Like, I mean, you will be a recognizable face and I bet you wear Rage and gear, like Rage and swag everywhere you go anyway. It's great for brand. It's fucking great for brand. Yeah, man. And uh, just that's the biggest thing. You know, every, everybody's, oh, you got free tickets. You got season tickets. I said, look, Drew Brees doesn't, off, doesn't owe me anything just because yeah. we look alike. I'm not going around asking for handouts, uh, you know, but I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to take it as it comes. I'm going to make, you know, meet people because that's, that's the biggest thing I'm kind of finding out about the whole thing is, you know, like this, this guy from Bud Light, like no telling what can come out of that, you know. Uh, yeah making connections, meeting people. Um, I probably take between three and 500 pictures every game I go to, walking into the stadium, at the stadium, and leaving. Uh, you better not, be wearing rage and shit in every photo. I have not turned one person down for a picture. I love that. Just because why would I? You know, uh, it gets overwhelming, but it's fun. I'm enjoying it. You know, I get to take my wife to the games, and we have a blast. We got on TV last time, so together. So that was pretty cool. I love it, dude. I I literally I love that. Like literally, that is like my feel good story of the like all year. That's like my favorite fucking thing. And it happened to you. Like if it would have happened to someone I didn't know, I still would have thought it was really cool. But the fact that it happened to you, and I like you so much, I was like, this is just such a cool fucking story. Um, But yeah, anyone who's listening, go check out Jeremy's Instagram. Go look at just Google it. You're going to see this stuff. It's fucking unreal how how closely they resemble each other. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. People just, I think people just confuse me as like, 
Conan's gayer looking younger brother or something. I don't know. Something like <laughs> you look like somebody. Once I figure it out, I'll, uh, I'll yeah, let me know. Let me know because I need to go find that guy. Um, <laughs> awesome. Jeremy, dude, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here, guys. My goal is in 2020 to, to get more gym owners who I vibe with well. Um, and I just want to jam with them and talk shop. If me and Jeremy were getting a beer right now, this is kind of what we'd be talking about. We'd just be talking shop. And uh, I think Jeremy's a really ex well-experienced, well-versed guy. I highly recommend anyone who's maybe heard some part of his story and they've got some questions or things like that to reach out to him. Um, he's got an abundance mindset. Um, he's obviously, he's more than willing to spend time to, to help others. And man, I, I, I just cannot thank you enough for coming on and, and for being a, you know, a fan of the content and coming to the self-made summit dude. Um, and uh, for the amazing gift you sent me, I had, uh, I went up to a cabin that following weekend awesome. and I, was just, I was in the cabin in the mountains, just having my old fashions. It just fucking, it was, it was a great time, dude. I really appreciate that. And look, dude, thank you for, uh, for all that you do, man. Uh, you know, when I first opened real quick, there was a gym owner, he owns CrossFit Hammond. His name's Brad McKee. Uh, I didn't know what the hell hell I was doing I knew he had been open he was I think one of the few affiliates in Louisiana I called this guy dude invited me spent all day with me at his gym took me to lunch answered all my questions and uh ever since that I think that's what really makes me want to help so many people from that one thing that he did so Brad I'll never forget that that's fucking, that that's that's me and you want to know it's so funny on the reverse when I came to Charlotte I did the same thing and I got ghosted. I got nothing. I got, nope, you're opening a competitive gym. I don't want to help you. And I think that flipped a different switch. It's amazing what happens. Like when you're like, I'm not trying to take you down and tear your building. I just would like to know from your experiences and guys who have that abundance mindset are just, I, I think they're just winners in my book. And they just ultimately like helping somebody else. It's like that legacy thing. It's like, now you talk about Brad in this way that is, it means more than anything. Like, again, like, I don't know, adoration and like stuff like that in me is just such a strong currency. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, well, good shit. Jeremy, man, listen, I appreciate it again. Thank you so fucking much. If anyone wants to get a hold of you and they want to jam with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, uh, you can shoot me a text to my cell phone. I have it with me all day. It's 337-739-0442. Uh, uh, or you could email me at Jeremy at ragingcrossfit.com fucking a fucking a brother thank hey. you so much hey dude thank you again and uh i look forward to talking to you again sometime man hey.